Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. That's an important part of our life because when we have something between us and the Lord which is known as sin, a lot of things don't happen. And one of the things that won't happen is that when we talk to the Lord, He doesn't choose then to listen to us. Now He can, but He chooses not to because it's that sin that separates us. But when forgiveness takes place, that sin then is forgiven, obviously, and washed away, and we can have that relationship with Him. And then that beautiful song that Melissa just sung, the song about Jesus with us, that's what Emmanuel is, He is with us. It reminds me of the verse in John when it says, And Jesus came into the world, Emmanuel with us, not to condemn us, but that through him the world might be saved. Now those of you that are listening to me that are on the outside of Christianity, you might be looking at Christianity and you might see it as a belief system that's uh, their own belief system compared to another belief system. Well, it is true, there is a belief system. We do have doctrine. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through scripture and so there is a belief system but what sets us apart from all of that is is that we could also have a personal relationship with Christ and so it's beyond this belief system it's knowing the truth but then knowing the truth and Jesus said I am the way the truth and he's a whole lot more than just a belief system he's a person and if we really want to know him, we have to build a relationship with him. And of course, that begins the moment we trust Christ as Savior. And so this message this morning is specifically designed for those who already know Christ as Savior. They know that Christ came into the world to save them, and they place their faith in Christ, and they have that relationship with him. But now what they want is like any human relationship. They want it to go deeper. And to do that, they need to know that communicating with the Lord in a proper way helps us to grow deeper with the Lord. And of course, when we're deeper with the Lord and we really know Him more intimately, it just fuels us to want to share Christ with others because of the joy we have with Him. We know that others can have that same joy and we want to tell others about Him. So today, we're going to continue a two-part series. It's on making prayer work because prayer, if I reduced it to something so simple, is building a relationship with the Lord by communicating with Him. And it's such an important truth to learn. If you recall, there's really just three main mountaintop principles in our two Sundays. Now those subpoints will give you a lot more meat to these mountaintops, but if you only could remember three, first we learned that we were to pray frequently. Obviously, any relationship we want to have with other people, we want to communicate with them frequently. Now, Carol and I enjoy a very close relationship. Now, even when she's not here by way of cell phones and other apparatuses like that, she and I communicate frequently throughout the day. In the morning, she'll call me when she gets up. Middle of the day, she'll call me to tell me to bring home bread. Next part of the day, she says, don't forget to bring home the bread. On the way home, did, she, did you get the bread? No, I'm not. I'm joking there. But there's this communication that goes on. My question to you is, when was the last time you had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the Lord? I don't mean through a prayer book, someone coaching you on some words to say, but as you communicated with the Lord, you knew you were speaking with a person, capital P, 
King of kings, Lord of lords. So we need to pray frequently with him. And then secondly, we learn that we're to pray earnestly. And that means that we're to pray passionately, not just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, Lord. It's, Lord, I love you, and I want to know you. And so we pray with great earnest, not just when we're in a jam, but all the time, because we want to not just continue the relationship with the Lord, but we want to build it deeper. Now, you know that before phones that we had different kinds of mailing systems. One time, you would call it snail mail. How many know what snail mail is? That's in contrast to email. Snail mail, as you write it, you have to find an envelope, put the letter in, find a stamp, address it, send it, and a few days later, hopefully, it'll get to its destination. Takes a long time. Snail mail. And now today, most of us send and receive emails. How many of you have sent or received an email in the last 24 hours? Would you raise your hand? I think that's great. This last week, I received a nice card and a package from a lady who was with us last Sunday morning. And the Lord took the word and impressed her so much that she brought me this little plaque. It was so nice. It's not about the gift and it's not about you giving me gifts. What it is about is what's said on the plaque. It's a cutesy little statement, but it's profound and it's truth. And here's what it says. God answers, knee mail. You get it? Knee mail on your knees when you pray. Now, let me be quick to tell you, folks, that God will hear your prayers if you're racing down the highway in an automobile or if you're busy with the kids near a soccer field and he's just as close to you whether you're on your knees or busy doing something else. The important thing is that we pray frequently and we pray earnestly. But there's one more mountain peak in this mountain range of prayer. And this is the one I'd like to open up with today. And when I talk about prayer, for some of you, you're busily getting your pens out and you want to make sure you get all the blanks filled in and you're getting a lot of information about prayer and I'm grateful for that because you can't have transformation without information but if you just have information and it doesn't change you then all you have is another filled in outline that's tucked away in the back of your Bible that when it gets so full you'll throw it away and move on with life and my passion for you is that together as a family, we would then go deeper in our walk with the Lord by praying more fully for Him. So here are some things that you might do. As you're going through this wonderful material that you're going to receive, you might say, Lord, is this how I am praying? Where do I need to make some mid-course prayer corrections? And is there someone in my life right now that I so desperately want their life to be better, different, and more closer to the Lord? And I've tried, but it's just not working. And if that's the case, don't beat up on yourself. You might want to say, Lord, maybe today is the day that I'm going to receive the key that might unlock that other person's changed life in some measure. So look at this as an opportunity for you to do business with the Lord and perhaps through prayer do business with another person. So here's the third one, and that would be to pray specifically. Allow me for a moment to read the passage in verses 10 through verse 13 to you. Pray specifically. Notice how specific Paul writes his prayer. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Back when I was in high school, I sensed that I would like to do something with my life as a career and one of the things I felt very much to do before I trusted Christ was to go into journalism, in broadcast journalism, radio and television. 
And when I would take courses on this, I learned that when you're going to do a, a story, you want to do a story that answers such questions as who, what, when, where, how, and why. What's interesting, if you carefully go through just this passage I've given to you, that would have been a great journalistic story. You're going to learn about who is praying and to whom we pray. What do we pray? How do we pray? Why do we pray? And in a sense, when do we pray? If you go further in the passage, all the time. And so really, this is rich. It's just dripping with great truths about prayer. But one thing that I found in this passage is the importance of praying, what I'm going to say, boldly to the Lord. And what does it mean to pray boldly with the Lord? It simply means to ask God to act. Now, let me quickly say this. It doesn't mean that what we're going to do now is to boss God around. And there are a lot of people today that when they have their life, they know that they can't get to where they need to go, so they automatically think that God becomes their servant. So they grab a hold of prayer and they tell God what they want, how they want it, when they want, how much they want. And so they now think that God works for them. And that's not the case. Remember, God is our Father when we trusted Christ. And yes, we can go to Him confidently, boldly to the throne of grace, but we don't boss God around. But we can ask Him confidently. In fact, Scripture says that when we go to Him, we must believe that He hears us and He rewards us. And so that's a confidence. That's a boldness. We believe it. So we talk to Him. Another verse says this, We have not because we ask not. And so we have to ask. And that means confidently asking the Lord. So think about that with your own life. When you go to the Lord, how much do you specifically ask God for the things that you need in your own life? Someone else has defined prayer this way. It's a means that God uses to give us what he wants. Did you catch that? It's a means by which the Lord uses to give us what he wants for our life. So we still go to the Lord, but it's still all about him and not about us. So the idea is simply this. Prayer does change circumstances. Now, I know that you and I might have been in situations that have been so tough. The obstacle was so strong in front of us. And we felt like we really can't pray for God to change that circumstance. It's not going to happen. And so some well-meaning Christian comes alongside and says, no, it's not about praying and changing the circumstance. Really, prayer is to change you. Now, I don't want to demean that. It is true. When I pray, there, is, there should be and will be a change in me and my relationship with the Lord and life and other things. But again, hear me quickly. It is also, though, to change a circumstance. Otherwise, why would he even ask us to pray if it wasn't to change a circumstance along with us? And how many times in Scripture do we see that God would change a situation and not just a person just because we asked confidently or boldly? So really, it's to change both the circumstance and you and me. So here's the exercise, if I can give it to you very simply, not oversimplified, but still simpler. And it's this, just keep on asking the Lord. Those of you that have felt that you have been knocking and knocking and knocking and asking and asking and asking and seeking and seeking and seeking and it still hasn't come yet, please don't give up. I guess I've been a Christian a long time, as many of you here have as well. And we could remember stories of people who have prayed a long time, but because they didn't give up, at a certain time, God finally answered that request. I trusted Christ when I was 16. But it wasn't until I was 27 before my dad trusted Christ as Savior. It was all these days, weeks, months, years before my dad came to faith in Christ. Keep on asking. Keep on asking God confidently, boldly, according to his will. But just keep on asking him. I like what Spurgeon had to say. Those of you who have never heard of Spurgeon. Spurgeon was known as the 
preacher of preachers, the pastor of preachers, the prince of preachers. He pastored an, a, a huge megachurch in London in the 1800s. Prolific speaker, comparable to our today's Chuck Swindoll. But here's what he wrote about the idea of keep on asking, but ask specifically. He said, I believe in the business of prayers. I mean prayers in which you take God, one of the many promises he has given us in his word, and you expect it to be fulfilled, as certainly as we look for the money to be given us when we go to the bank to cash a check. We should not think of going there, the bank, lolling over to the counter, chatting with the clerks on every conceivable subject except the one for which we've gone to the bank and then coming away with the coin that we need. But we should lay before the clerk the promise to pay the bearer of this check a certain sum. Tell them in what form we wish that amount and then count it after it has been counted to us and then go away to attend to our other business. Did you catch the meat of what he was really saying? When we go to the Lord, we don't just kind of talk about other subjects and then wish we had our prayers answered. We go specifically. We count on his promises of what he said he would do and who he is. We believe it to be so. And we expect that to be answered according to his will, for his glory, in his timing. R.A. Torrey, a great evangelist, who was one of the founders and the first president of Biola University in La Mirada, California, he said this. And by the way, he has written many books on prayer. Prayer is the hand that takes to ourselves the blessings that God has already provided us in His Son. And there are a lot of blessings that are out there. Would you like to know about prayer in America? Just in America alone. Newsweek magazine a few years ago did a survey of thousands of people to ask about their prayer life. How do they pray? About what do they pray? Are their prayers being answered? And it was a smattering of people of all different belief systems. And here's what the article said. It said that 87% of Americans would say that they believe God answers prayer. That's a lot. 82% of Americans said they asked God for help or the success of a child or family member when they prayed. And by the way, that was the number one thing that they prayed for, help and the success of a family member. It goes on to say... 79% of the Americans said that God answers prayers like healing someone of an incurable disease. 75% asked for strength to overcome some personal weakness or a temptation. 73% think prayers for help in finding a job are answered. Here's an interesting one, a fun one. 51% think that God does answer prayers to win sporting events. The scary thing is that 49% think the other. 35% never pray for financial or career success. Well, that's interesting because it'd be something I think I would pray for, wouldn't you? It goes on to say that 29% say that they pray to God more than once a day and 25% pray at least once a day. Now here's what all that says. It says a lot of Americans believe in prayer. A lot of Americans are praying to a God. So there's a lot of stuff out there about prayer. The real question is, is how accurate is it? And are they really getting in touch with God on his spiritual wavelength or not? That's the question. And while we're asking that question, we might ask it to you. How are you doing in your prayer life? And are you on the right wavelength connected to God the way he wants you to? And maybe this would be a good time for us to lean into that. So the question would be, what should I talk to God about? Now, what you're about to learn 
some of this is going to be a little new and fresh to you. It's not the same old message on prayer because I'm staying in one passage. And from it, I'm going to take about five different principles about prayer and how we can pray specifically. So let's look at number one. The first one is to remove obstacles. And I would suggest that you put a star by this one because a lot of times we pray for things and we don't get them. And maybe instead of just praying for that, we might pray that the obstacles would be removed so that we could get what we need. Look, if you will, at verse 10. It says this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Here's what that means. Paul had already been in Thessalonica. He's fallen in love with his people that he has shepherded. He founded that church. Now he's further away. But he'd like to get back to the very people that he loves. And so what he's saying now to the Lord, Lord, would you direct our way, remove the obstacles, because we're kind of hung up over here, and we would like to get back over there to those people. So what he's really doing is saying, Lord, remove the obstacles. Now occasionally, maybe once or year or every other year, Carol and I do our pilgrimage to the mainland. We have family there. We have people in past churches that we've ministered to. We have people that are asking us for advice and counseling, Christian leaders, etc. And so we do need to make our pilgrimage and be directed to get there. Now to get there, we can say, Lord, help us to get to the mainland. Lord, use us on the mainland, blah, 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 blah. But there are a lot of obstacles that we have to have removed before we ever have an effective ministry on the mainland. A few of them would be this. First of all, is the church calendar and schedule free? Secondly, are the people going to be available for us when we get there? Are they going to be away? Next, do we have the finances necessary to purchase the tickets to fly there and to rent a car and maybe have some lodging along the way? And then also, when we leave, what are we leaving behind? We have wonderful staff here, so not very much prayer needs to be for them. But we do have pets in our house. So what do you do with the pets? As far as I'm concerned, put them in a box, put a box of food in there and see them when we get back. But that's not how Carol looks at it. So we need to have that tender, loving care for pet sitters. And I'm saying all that to say this. I call it XYZ praying. You want to get to X, but part of our prayer is to remove the Y and the Z in our life. Now, that's pretty general when we talk about those general things of X, Y, and Z. But nonetheless, it's still prayers that we need to make. So if you will, go down memory lane in your own life. Who in your life right now you've been praying for, but it seems like they're still locked in that situation? Maybe what you could do is to now pray the Y and the Z so you can get the X, if you're following me, what I'm saying. For example, maybe it's someone that you know that needs to know Christ as Savior. Yes, you can pray for them. But what you might pray is something like this. Lord, remove from their life anyone who is speaking to them false teaching and they're listening to them. Lord, surround them with good, godly Christians that are living a life of honesty, decency, integrity so they can see the authenticity of Christianity. So what you're doing now is you're praying so all these other things might happen so that the person then could come to know Christ as Savior. Maybe for you, you're praying, I need to grow spiritually. So instead of just saying, Lord, I pray that I could grow spiritually, your prayer might be this. Lord, remove from me the things in my schedule that's keeping me away from my quiet time with you. Lord, keep the things away from me that's preventing me from being faithful and regular at Bible studies, Sunday school classes, or church services where the Word of God is taught in an environment where there's worship and growth and accountability. So you begin to pray the Y and the Z, and you'll be more quickly to see how you can arrive at the X that you'd like to have in your life. Well, here's your exercise. This might work for you. It's a little humorous, but think about it. I call it 
bulldozer prayers. Now you might say, what do you mean bulldozer? Sounds so uh, antagonistic type of praying. Not really. We have a family that will be going to the mainland to Minnesota. Some of you have already heard about Minnesota and that the Metrodome, the roof is caved in because of the blizzard so they can't play their football game. They're going to have to move it to Detroit tomorrow. I know this is dating our tape right here, but that's what's happening. They're telling the people stay off the highways. Even the plows can't get on the highways there in Wisconsin and Iowa and other places because the snow is so high the plows can't get through it. And now they're finding that as they're plowing there are so many cars that are underneath the snow drifts can you imagine one of those plows coming up against some of the smaller cars and having to push them out of the way? Now, why are they doing that? The bulldozers are out there so that the person could get to their destination on a safer piece of highway. And so we call it bulldozer prayers because you're asking the Lord to kind of push aside those obstacles that are out there so that we can now arrive at the destination of knowing him more intimately and helping our people get to know him as well. So we call them bulldozer prayers. Well, let's go to the second area of prayer to pray specifically, and that is to pray for God to increase our love for other people. In verse 12, it says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Now, that to me is very profound when it says, and may the Lord do this. You know what that tells me first off is that I don't have to make myself love people that are often unlovely. Everybody loves a kitten and they all have little puppies, but when they grow up to be mean and all that, it's hard to love them. And so God says, you don't have to work up your own love for them. It's God's love inside of you that you are releasing, or better yet, unleashing to be able to reach out to other people. And so we're to do that. Now I'm reminded of a verse that talks about the importance of knowledge. It goes like this. While knowledge may make us feel important, it is really love that builds the church. And so let me caution some of you that are acquiring a great deal of Bible knowledge and at the same time your love quotient is very small. And so it's not wrong to get great Bible knowledge, so I'm not speaking against that. What we do need to speak for though is, is to use that knowledge as a tool to build with rather than a weapon to do warfare with because it'll just puff us up. And so now we want to love other people. So let me give you two words to focus on. It says this, I pray that your love may, first word is increase, and the second word is the word abound. So you want the love that you have for Christ to increase within you and to abound outward. Look at the two phrases that focus on where our love is to grow. He says, I pray that you will have love for one another. I like to look at it, people one at a time, maybe people that you know, one another. And then it says, and then for everyone else. So our pursuit ought to be, for other people. Now for a moment, think with me. When I begin to pray, how often are my prayers about myself, my health, my job, my career, my finances, my family and my problems there, and so it happens to be a lot about us. Maybe now we can shift a little bit and our love will increase and abound toward one another and everyone. And as we get our eyes off ourselves onto others, I wonder what that'll do for our own inner relationship with the Lord. How important it is for us to do that. Maybe I can show you an illustration I've used years ago. I don't know if you can see this, especially you young people. Can you see what I'm holding up? What am I holding up? Okay, it's a can of soda. It's a Pepsi here. And I'm not trying to promote Pepsi or even soda for those of you that are our, our health people in here. But it's for an illustration, if you will, for a moment. 
Inside this can, if I believe the label, is going to be Pepsi. Now, it's not just liquid water here. This is carbonated water, so it's full. Now, if I take this can and I do that with it, pretty soon I don't even hear the liquid sloshing around. Why is that? Because it's so full of pressure right now. So this can here is full. It's increased to the top, and now it's abounding. It's just looking for me to just pop the top. All right, now I'm not going to do that, uh, or I won't be asked back next week. But here's my point. If I pop this top, by the way, here, if you'd like, you can give that to your kids later, all right? (laughs) But if I did that, what happens? When it's increased and abounding and we release the top of the can, it explodes all around other people. Well, here's my point. Because we've trusted Christ as Savior and we're a partaker of His divine nature and the love of God is within us and we allow it to increase within us, shouldn't it then abound to one another, to those that are around us? This is Joe Pons and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.